right, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll get there in just a second. <clears throat> I want to read to you out of Acts chapter 1 first, and then we'll get to 2 Corinthians 5. Acts 1 verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then down in verse 8, <clears throat> Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, we come broken. We come knowing that we are in need of Him. And when we come to Him, we do not look like Him. We do not speak like Him. We do not act like Him. We do not uh, see like Him. Because we're a desperate people. We don't and we can't come to Jesus having everything together. It's part of His work of the Holy Spirit to put us together, to cause us to become like Christ. It's impossible for us to become like Christ and then we present ourselves to Him. It doesn't work like that. We come as we are. We come broken as we are. Come needy as we are. And then He begins that work in us. And... The key to our success in becoming more and more like Christ and growing in our faith is to stay in a place of humility because that's how we come to Him. We come to Him in that place of humility and need, complete dependence upon Him. You know, I remember I was so messed up when I came to know the Lord and I was only 18 years old. Can you imagine if I was older what it would have been like? But I was 18 and I, I just knew that I needed God because I, I lived with me and I couldn't get away from me. And so I knew I needed Him. And when I gave my life to Him, it was like, God, give me everything that You have because I know it's going to be way better than what I have right now. And He has. And one of the lies the enemy tries to use to steer us off course is to get us to think that God really doesn't care about us. And he uses proof in the fact that not many things change in our lives once we accept Christ in, in salvation. You know, for some of us, things change. It's miraculous. But for most of us, things stay the same. I remember when I got saved, the person who led me to the Lord, he told me about his experience. And so almost a year later, as I'm, Receiving the Lord. And, and so I'm looking for the same experience that he looked for. Or that he got. And it didn't happen. And after about a week, he finally said to me, he says, Richard, what is wrong with you? He says, something has changed in you. And what is wrong with you? And I said, well, I gave my life to the Lord. And, and I didn't have the same experience you had. And so I don't know what I have to do to get saved. And he says, what do you mean you gave your life to the Lord? So I told him, I said, what happened? He said, well, then you're saved. I said, I am? Because I was looking for external things of what happened to him, and it didn't happen to me, so I didn't think I was saved, but thank God I was. 
But see, that's what the enemy does is he tries to use our life against us and to think that we're not saved when we really are. And then once we start to realize that we're saved, things start to go good for us and everything is changing for the good. And we're like, man, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden things change again and things don't change as often for the good. And then we're going through things that we didn't think we were going to have to go through. And when we first got saved, everything was great. But you have to realize it's like when you're when you give your life to Christ and you're born again, you're an infant, you're a babe. And babies need to be taken care of. And so God knows how to take care of us. But then eventually babies have to grow up. And then they begin to do things on their own. And so God stops doing things for us that he was doing because now it's time for us to do them. Tie your own shoes. Uh-huh. You see, we just don't, we don't always see how God works because when we just think he's going to do everything for us and he's going to throw the red uh, rose puddles down for it, petals down for us and we know that's the path that we're supposed to walk on and it doesn't happen like that. When God begins to process us, that's the transformation begins. And part of the process that we go through in transformation begins by teaching us to live by faith and not by sight. And by sight, I'm talking about natural things, our natural understanding through our natural senses. We have to stop living according to those. And God wants us to live by faith. And we, at first, we're excited because we all want to live by faith until we find out what it means to live by faith. And so that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look in verse 7. And it says this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So I just want to encourage you right now, this is God's will for your life. He wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. And so sight means those natural things, our natural understanding. You know, what we can make out on our own. That's not faith. That's sight. We have our natural feelings. And these are the things that we can see and understand with our natural reasoning. And we live in a world so we have to have feelings. I mean, we're the only creatures that live in two realms. We live in the heavenly realm and the, and the physical realm here on earth. And so we're tapped into both of those realms. But at first, we're so accustomed to living according to our physical realm. Then God begins to teach us how to live according to the spiritual realm. Because he's trying to get us to the point where we understand that we're, it's one of my favorite sayings, we're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. You know, but we've put so much weight on the natural that we forget that we're spiritual beings first. And, and so God begins to move us through that transition, that transformation. And yet the world is bombarding us with feelings. And when we walk by faith and not by sight, then we're coming to a place of 
answering the invitation that God has for us to walk in a deeper level. In other words, we're not going to be moved by the things that we see. We're going to be moved by Him. Now, the funny thing is, is as Paul is writing this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it, it actually goes back to chapter 4 and actually a little bit before that. But we're going to start, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to put this in context. And think about this. As we're reading this, think about what he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Think about it because there's going to be some sights that are going to really be difficult for them, but they got it. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And this treasure is the Holy Spirit that Paul's speaking of. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, like right there, it would be nice if we could just stop. And if we have this power living, working in us, living in us, then yeah, it would be easy to walk by faith and not by sight. But here's the turning point. But think about this. Verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Verse 8. You ready? We are afflicted in every way. Everybody say every way. You are afflicted. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not given to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Isn't that awesome? And he's telling them, you have to walk by faith and not by sight. Whew. They have some things to overcome. Oh, by the way, that's the title of the message. The power to overcome. Look, they're afflicted in every way. They're perplexed. They're persecuted. They're struck down. Verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Sounds like a great thing, isn't it? And Paul's telling them while you're realizing this, you are to walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Sounds like a great life, doesn't it? Everybody wants to be a Christian until we come to this scripture. And then it's like, well, do I really have to? Yeah, this is part of it. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Isn't that awesome? So God is working something in us so that life can be brought to somebody else. And so when you're dying, when you're crucifying your flesh, when you're 
not able to do the things that you want to do because the world is doing them, but God tells you not to do them, then realize it's for somebody else. It's not just for you, but it's for somebody else. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Verse 14. Knowing that. Everybody say knowing that. I'm going to tell you now, this is the key to overcoming. Not only the Holy Spirit in us, but knowing that. Verse 14. Knowing that. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And Paul is stating this because they're encountering some very difficult times in their lives. They're not even sure that they're going to make it tomorrow. They're not sure that they're going to make tonight and be able to sleep. They may be killed. They may be put to death because of Christ. And so he's telling them, knowing that, he who raised Jesus, he's going to raise us too. So this is how they have to proceed is to know this. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake. Yeah. But think about this. And, and this is what's so amazing to me. We Christians, we think that Life centers around us, but it doesn't. I've shared this before, but it, I guess it's time to remind us. Your life really isn't about you. I mean, it is to a certain extent, but it's, it's about you so that you can become more and more like Christ, so that Christ can be revealed to this world, so that others can see what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. And to know that He who raised Jesus is also going to raise us up. We got to know this. But it says, for it is all for your sake. So it's the things that they're going through, the things that Paul is going through, is for them. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more people to more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to the glory of God. Okay? And then. For those of you who were here last week, we're going to read the three scriptures that we looked at last week as well. Starting in verse 16. Paul says all of that, and then he says this, so we do not lose heart. Ah! Isn't that funny? How many of us, when we somebody looks at us wrong in church or they don't look at us at all, we get offended by them and, and we feel like we're being persecuted? And we want to throw in the towel. I'm never going back to that church again. Y'all see how those people treat me. Or they sit in your seat. Woo! I've watched that, man. Woo! I mean, we act like we're being crucified. Somebody just sat in your seat. That's it. They don't have vengeance against you. Let me, let me go back up here and read what they were. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying in their body the life or the death of Christ. 
And we're going to worry about who's sitting in our seat? So we do not lose heart. Verse, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And the older you get, the more you realize that verse. You are not designed, your physical body is not designed to live forever on this earth. God has gone through, through Jesus Christ to prepare a place for us. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. Hallelujah. Verse 17. Oh, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And how many of us think it's light and momentary when we're going through it? None of us. We start bawling and crying before the Lord. Oh God, why is this happening to me? And God forbid if he says, well, you're you talking about the little light and momentary affliction? Yeah, that, Lord. Verse 18. He says, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we looked at this last week. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that. Here it is again, we know. For we know. You see, I'm telling you, we have to get this. We have to come to the place where we know these things. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our natural, okay, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's talking about our spiritual being. He's understanding the natural, but he's putting the emphasis on our spiritual. All right. Put your seatbelts on. We're getting into some good stuff. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to be ejected. You want to, you want to get all of this. All right. Verse 2. For in this tent we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may be found naked. And what he's talking about is. We're so used to the natural. And then when we start walking with God and start paying attention to the spiritual realm and we start crucifying our flesh, we start overcoming the things that are before us in a Christ like manner and we're being transformed. We're losing the emphasis of this world. And we're gaining a whole new perspective of what life really is like. Verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal, and I, I'm putting in here in my note, what is natural, may be swallowed up by life. And by life, he's talking about the spiritual life. Here it is, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Do 
God has created each and every one of us to be spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. And God wants to take us through the process of living only by sight and to start to live by faith. And if we're going to live by faith, then we have to get a proper understanding of, of the natural ways of life, the natural things. Yes, you, you need to eat. You need to take a shower. You need to clothe yourself. You know, you need to do the natural things. But we also have to see that in the spiritual realm as well and allow the spiritual to take over the natural and not just live in the natural. Not to gauge everything that we see just by the natural. And it says in here, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Prepared us for the transformation. Prepared us for uh, maturity. Preparing us to walk by faith and not by sight. It's God who is doing this. And so the afflictions that you face, the perplexion that you face, the difficulties that you face, the tribulations that you face, God isn't causing them, but He's allowing them to work something in you so that you can be made more like Christ. I mean, like, don't cut that, don't cut verse 5 out of your Bible, okay? I know it's hard, but realize God has something greater for us. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Wouldn't that be awesome if we were? So we are always of good courage. This is what God wants for us. That even when we're going through difficult things, we can be of good courage. Why? Because God has prepared this for us and, and we're developing a, a deeper relationship with Him. Greater dependency on the Holy Spirit, which is going to cause faith to arise within us. And then He talks about what we know again. So we are always of good courage. We know that. While we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So in the midst of difficulties, Paul's telling them, this is how I want you to walk. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And now if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, please. Can I tell you something? If you are going to become more and more like Christ, if you are going to grow in your faith, then you are going to have to go through this transformation process and you're going to experience what they experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we have to glean on the encouragement that Paul tells us in the rest of that. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and tell you that if you don't want to become like Christ, if you don't want to be transformed, and all you want to do is be saved so that when you die, you go to heaven. I'm going to tell you, God will allow you to do that. 
but you will live a very frustrated life. Because God has so much for us. The life in Christ is so awesome, so amazing, that you can forsake that, and He can't do anything about it. We will never become whole and complete until we go through the process that God intended for us. But if you are going to become like Christ, if you are wanting to be transformed into His likeness and image, then we will go through trouble. We will go through trials. We will go through difficulties. We will have setbacks. We will have people that turn on us. We will have people that leave us because they've died. We will. We will encounter all of those and many more. But we will have the power necessary in us to bring us to Christ-likeness through the Holy Spirit. And this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 55. God's invitation to us in verse 9. I don't think I've shared this one for a while. It's one of my favorites. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I've shared with you before, I want God's thoughts for me. I want His thoughts for my life. Because His thoughts for my life are way better than my thoughts for my life. And His thoughts for my life are way better than your thoughts for my life. And you know what? I want his thoughts for your life as well. Because his thoughts for your life are way higher than my thoughts for your life. Even though I like you, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And why not have those? And when we start to have God's thoughts for our lives, then we stop living by our feelings. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want me to live by my feelings. Okay? You don't. And I don't necessarily want to see your feelings either. Now we have to because we're human and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to fail one another. We're going to go through difficult times and we're going to need one another. But we have to come to the place where it's okay to have those feelings, but we don't stay in those feelings. We rise above those feelings. We answer the invitation that God has for our lives. Becoming like Christ, going through the transformation process, teaches us how to get off our natural understanding, our natural feelings, and onto the truth of God's Word. And that is the place that God desires for all of us to live. So how do we biblically handle the tribulations and trials and difficulties that come our way? How do we handle the light and momentary affliction that comes our way? How do we respond to them? How do, how do we do 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 when it says fight the good fight of faith? How do we do that? 
Because that's what Paul tells us to do. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. How do we take hold of it? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is what Paul is telling us that it was for Timothy, but it's for us as well. We have to fight the good fight of faith. Well, how do we do that? In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Anybody experience that? Are you breathing? Yeah. Then you've experienced tribulation. And if you haven't experienced tribulation, you are a tribulation to somebody else then. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How do we live like that then? How do we take heart? Other translation says, be of good courage, I've overcome the world. Well, how do we be of good courage when we're facing all of these things? And if we're honest with ourselves, we didn't even ask for them. They just come our way because we're trying to become like Christ. We're trying to develop our faith, and so we find ourselves up against these struggles all the time. And while we're facing these, we're supposed to take heart. Be of good courage. What does all that look like in my life, in your life, in our life? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews chapter 4. And what this is going to do is give us a, a clear picture of our natural feelings and how to handle them. It's, we're going to come in a roundabout way, but we're going to get there. We're going to see this, I hope. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So this is what we're supposed to do. Hold fast to our confession. Our confession of what? Our confession of faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he knows how we feel when we're going through these difficult times. Because the rest of the verse. But one who in every respect has been tempted as excuse me, as we are. You see, I don't have to know everything that you're going through. But there's one who does know everything that you're going through. And He knows how to answer you. And His name is Jesus. And it says that, let me read it all and then get to the last part. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That blesses me so much. That means I can turn to Him and I can find help. I can find the way out. Even when I don't understand and, and can't even see a way out, I can turn to Jesus 
And he will give me a way out because he understands. He took on flesh, the scripture says. We don't have time to go into that this morning. But he took on flesh so that he would be able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it is when somebody betrays you. He knows what it is when you're dying. He knows what it is when people think that you're crazy. Because of the things that you do. For God. I mean, think of the life of Jesus. Everywhere he went, when he started being revealed as to who he was, man, it, they were trying to kill him every turn. I don't think you've experienced that yet. Nobody's gotten that mad at you that they're hunting you down. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so I'm reading this because I want you to understand. God knows what it is. He knows the feelings that we have when we're going through difficult times. He understands that. Jesus knows exactly how we feel at that moment. But he doesn't want us to stay there because it says he was yet without sin. So we have to figure out how do we respond. We respond like he did. Because he did not sin, Jesus knows how to steer us in the right direction so that we don't give in to sin either. This reminds me of Psalm 103, verse 14, and it says, For he, God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know? He understands our shortcomings. He understands that. So I want to tell you, first of all, we don't have to hide our feelings. We don't have to hide the struggles that we're going through. We don't have to hide our weaknesses. We don't have to hide the messes that we've made. And trust me, we've made plenty of them. We don't have to hide all of those. We simply have to turn to Him and let Him teach us how to turn our feelings towards God. One of my major concerns with the world and even with the church nowadays is how much we live according to our feelings and, our, and how much our feelings override God's Word and the truth of God's Word and His ways. We make decisions based on how we feel. We don't make decisions based on the truth of God's Word. If you feel like this today, then that's how you're going to be. Well, if you're going to be a grumpy old person or a grumpy young person, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be grumpy, who wants to be around you? You're choosing to be grumpy. Even though there's chaos going around in your life, you don't have to be grumpy. Now, as human beings, trust me, you know, when it first happens, yeah, you might be a little grumpy, but get over it. Don't stay there. Don't be miserable. Don't get on, the, get on your phone and start texting everybody and get on Facebook and telling everybody how sad you are. We already know you're sad. You don't have to remind us. We look at your life and figure that out. What we're looking for is for you to walk by faith and not by sight. If you're a believer. You know, and the funny thing is, is we're so, so concerned about putting our making our decisions based on feelings, and yet 
the Scripture says that our feelings are going to change from day to day. And, and they do. They're transient. Tomorrow morning you might feel something totally different. You know, we've had it so easy here in America that, you know, we just think any kind of somebody, you know, looks at us wrong, you know, I've picked on that enough. But, you know, any little thing just sets us off. And it shouldn't be like that. We need to grow up. I, th- I think about what was going on in Jesus' days. I, th- I think about how they treated him and his disciples. I mean, it's a wonder the disciples made it. I mean, thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know he's real. They changed the world, but he didn't, you know, there were, they were not world changers when he called them. And I think of the, the nation of Israel and every, all the obstacles. Everything that they had to overcome. I mean, it was constantly they were having to overcome things. And as I was doing this, I, I started thinking about Gideon. Gideon's hiding. Because of all the persecution, because of the... the he's hiding and he's got grapes, but he's not even uh, stepping on them in, in a grape place. He's doing it where they do wheat and stuff because he's hiding There's persecution all around them. They're losing everything. And then God comes to him while he's hiding. Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's looking around like, who is that? You see, God sees something else than what we see. And then he says, Gideon, I've had enough. Let's go get him. And he says, wait a minute, Gideon. He says, there's too many of you. He says, if, if you all go, he says, get your army together. If you all go, though, he says, then you're going to take credit for it. He said, there's too many people. He said, let's get rid of some of them. So he narrows it down from thousands, like t- over 10,000. I think it was 30,000. I could be wrong, but I think it was 30,000. He narrows it down to 300. Now, if you were Gideon, what would you be thinking? Are you crazy, God? We had 30,000 and now we only have 300 left? And you think we're going to go defeat them? Because he's trying to get Gideon to see things in a different way. That's why I was so thrilled to open up with prayer for healing today because God, nothing is too difficult for God. He is able. And we act like he's, you know, an old man ready to die. Can't get off his rocker. Got to have a cane with him. No, he's not like that. You know what he did for Gideon? He got Gideon off his feelings. Gideon was looking at everything in the natural. He was hiding because of what was happening in the natural. And God gave him strength to be able to go out and defeat his enemies. (coughs) Excuse me. When are we going to believe God to do the impossible for us in our lives? 
And when are we going to believe God to use us to do the impossible? It starts with knowing that we are loved by God. And since we know that He loves us, we trust Him. We've looked at the Scripture in John chapter 13. It's not coming up, but we've done enough of it. Jesus, knowing that He had come from the Father and was going back, became a servant. And so it starts with us knowing that we're loved by God. And then we begin to trust Him. Even when we don't understand. Even when it doesn't seem as if He is working or moving or even paying any attention to us. We feel like He's forsaking us, but He hasn't. You know, we sing those songs and it seems like we're okay when we're singing them, but then when we go home, do we still sing them? Do we still believe them? And I just want to encourage you, it's our responsibility to stay the course, to stay true to God's Word, to rest in the fact, the truth, that the battle belongs to the Lord and not to us. And as we stand and fight from a place of victory because of Calvary, not trying to defeat the enemy in our own strength, but enforcing the enemy's defeat because of Jesus. Then we'll see success. There are things that we need to do to cooperate with God, but we do it in faith, knowing God loves us and knowing that Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know, when you're facing those afflictions, when the enemy's coming against you, you can say, you know what? You fell. We need to come to Jesus and allow Him to give us His perspective on our troubles, trials, and tribulations. It may take some time to get His perspective. And so while we wait, we trust Him and we worship. But I also want to tell you this. Truth always takes longer to be revealed. When you start to go through something, I want you to be of good courage knowing that God has you. And eventually the truth will come out. You will be an overcomer. I want to close with two scriptures. One is found in Isaiah chapter 50. But if you're near Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 12. But Isaiah 50 verse 7. And, and this is what it takes for us to fight the good fight of faith. And, and we're just beginning this part, this series, all right? So, but I'm, I'm giving you a little teaser. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says this, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know Aren't you glad that he knows? It's going to be a wonderful day when you know too. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. But you see, it's our responsibility to set our face towards God like, like Flint. We're the ones that have to be constant. When everything around you is falling apart, you have to set your mind on him. In Hebrews chapter 12, we just finished verse or chapter 11 is the great cloud of witnesses. And then he goes to verse or Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's telling them to run with endurance. In other words, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And this is how we run with endurance. The race set before us. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus. That's it. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Stand with me if you will, please. How do you fight the good fight of faith? How do you take heart, be of good courage when you're facing trials and tribulation and difficulties and sadness and all kind of things that this world throws at you? How do you handle it? You keep looking at Jesus. If you haven't looked there, start looking now. If you've never given your life to Him, that's where it begins. Give your life to Him. And then stay focused on Him. Let everything else around you, just let it go. Stay focused on Him. And I promise you, if you stay focused on Him, He will cause things in your life to happen that will bring you to the place that He wants you to be, which is like Him. You're not going to get there by calling up and complaining and you know, putting on Facebook all your troubles. That's not looking to Jesus. And we have a society now, even believers, who the last thing that they have on their mind is looking to Jesus. And then they wonder why their life is a mess. Look to Jesus. Focus on Him. No matter what the enemy tries to throw at you, you stay focused on Him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that your word gives us. I thank you that the direction that your word gives us leads us to a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding of the love that you have for us. And Father, when we're being afflicted and all these other things come against, come against us, I pray that you would begin to set our heart in our minds on you. That we would look to you, Jesus. We would remember what you went through. And let, let us be willing to go through it as well. Teach us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Teach us. Teach us to fix our eyes on you. 
And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. All right. Have a great week. And don't forget about our conference coming up this weekend. So hopefully we'll see you Friday night.